What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. I hope you're having an absolutely fantastic day. I hope your 4th of July was good. We are back. We have an absolutely loaded podcast for you today. Damian Lillard, Jalen Brown, and of course we're going to continue through the 1%. I'm super excited for it. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Damien Lillard has made his request known. He wants to play one place and one place only. And that one place is South Beach. He wants to go to Miami. He wants to play with Jimmy Butler. And he wants to play with Bam Adebayo. He wants to be a part of Heat culture. That is his desire. He has made it known to Portland. And I believe we got into the trade talks a little bit last week. Just talking about some different destinations. And here's the thing. I know... You've been hammered over the head with this. You've heard this over and over and over again. The Miami Heat do not have the assets that they need in order to make a two-team deal, them in Portland, to acquire Damian Lillard, which is an issue, right? And there have been reports that other teams aren't venturing into potentially trading for Dame because he only wants to go to Miami, and there's some concern there with if he doesn't want to play here, he's going to be unhappy, and if he's unhappy, is he going to play well? Is he going to play hard? How is all that going to work out? Which is all a fair question, but it's Damian Lillard. This is a guy who loves to play basketball. I think wherever he ends up, he's going to play hard. And we have seen guys go to different places that they don't want to go to and play well and play hard. Um, Kawhi Leonard did not want to go play for the Toronto Raptors, but that's where San Antonio sent him, and he balled out, and they won an NBA title. So dare I say that the best thing for Damian Lillard would be to not go play for Miami. Because, I know, look, I know that's what people want. I know that's what people are yelling and screaming for. But it is not the best, the best place for Dame. If Dame wants to go and win a championship, go to Boston. Now, he's come out and he has said that he does not want to go to Boston. He does not want to play for the Celtics for whatever reason. Okay, he's just he's not a Boston guy. I don't know what it is. But that's just that's the last place that he wants to go. But the interesting thing about Boston, because I don't think that they care. I think that they're still in the swing form. Okay, there have been reports that they've reached out to Portland and that they've gauged a trade just to kind of see what that would be like. And while they've been doing that, they've extended Kristaps Porzingis. They've done a lot of work with the Grant Williams stuff, you know, looking to trade him for a first-round pick. Meanwhile... Jalen Brown has not been extended. Now, maybe part of that is they want to get through the Grant Williams stuff first because that's a little bit more urgent, Okay, considering you know Grant Williams restricted free agent. Everyone else is about to start making their offers. Maybe they want to get through that, and then they will you know, fast-forward the extension talks a little bit. They'll, they'll pick up the pace on them. You know, they've just kind of put, a, put the extension stuff on hold with Jalen Brown for right now. That's an, interesting, that's an interesting thing to do with one of the cornerstones of your franchise to make them wait. So those guys are kind of important. And usually you don't want to make, wait, make them wait around. I don't think it's entirely unlikely that Boston would trade Damian Lillard. Now, if I had to put money on something today, I would put money that put money down that says that the Boston Celtics extend Jalen Brown. They run it back with Joe Mazzula and Jason Tatum and all those guys. 
you know, obviously without Marcus Smarts and with the addition of Kristaps Porzingis. But at the same time, I, I'll just say it bluntly, I would not pay Jalen Brown the full extension. Okay, he's coming off one of the best regular seasons that he's had. The best regular season in his career, okay? He set a career high in points. He set a career high in rebounds. Tied his career high in assists. Shot the ball as efficiently as he shot it through his entire career. He had a really good regular season, and it earned him second-team All-NBA honors, the first All-NBA selection of his career, which has now enabled him to sign the $295 million five-year extension, which is way too much money. Okay? Way too much money. Now let's let's start with why. Like why, Jonathan? Why is this way too much money for the second best player on a team that played in another Eastern Conference Finals? Why is it too much money for the second best player on a team that made the NBA Finals two playoff runs ago? Why is it too much money for him? Well, let's start with the playoffs from this last year. Okay, his numbers as a whole, if you look at, you know, the grand scheme of things, 20 playoff games he played. He looked fine. The numbers were pretty normal compared to his other playoff numbers throughout his career. Okay, but he gets off to this really hot start. Okay, through through the first two rounds, he's averaging just under 25 points a game with a 63% true shooting percentage. These are through the first two rounds. Then, the Miami Heat show up and they hold him to 19 points a game on 46% true shooting percentage. Throughout the series... Jalen Brown recorded 24 assists, and he turned the ball over 25 times. He went 7 of 43 from 3 and only attempted 21 free throws. Now, to be fair, he did have a couple good showings throughout that seven-game series, but the Heat stumped him. Okay, They exploited his most glaring offensive inability, his ability to handle the basketball. Okay, I've started calling Jalen Brown 2D. That's my new nickname for him. Not because he's two-dimensional, but because he only has you know two, two dribbles in his arsenal before he's going to turn the ball over. He's good for two dribbles, and that is it. How can you pay a guy $59 million a year over the next five years if he can't dribble the ball more than twice? Okay, and we saw this on full display in Game 7. Jason Tatum turns his ankle early in the first quarter. He clearly wasn't his normal self the rest of the way through. So what does that mean? It means Jalen Brown, you get the basketball more. Brown had the ball a lot more, and he turned the ball over eight times. Eight times. His inability to dribble is a major reason why the Boston Celtics did not play in the NBA Finals. Now, with that being said, there were multiple issues in Boston last year. It wasn't all on Jalen Brown. But you can't ignore the inability to do one of the most basic things in the game of basketball. Golly. Ugh. $59 million a year for a guy who can't dribble. That's really hard. Now, on top of that, the new CBA is in effect, right? The salary cap is going up. But there's, you know, everybody's new favorite word, the second apron. Like, that's a thing. I'm not going to bore you and go into all the CBA stuff. But... You know, with between Brown and Tatum, I think they've done a really good job, the Boston Celtics have, of supporting them, giving them Marcus Smart and Al Horford and Jalen Brunson, Jalen Brunson, Malcolm Brogdon, um, Derek White, really good role players. And if they give Brown this huge deal, they won't be able to afford a lot of those guys anymore. Especially since next year, Jason Tatum is going to be due 
for a big big extension. And if they give it to Jalen Brown, then they have to give it to Jason Tatum. And with both of them making roughly $60 million a year on average, they will not be able to afford anybody else. It will be so hard for them to be given the proper role players, which as we saw this last year, role players matter. That is why Denver won the NBA Finals. That is why Miami Heat beat Boston. They had better role players than Boston. Or, well, Miami's role players outplayed Boston's. That's probably better. So if they sign Brown to this huge extension, they're going to have to do the same thing with Tatum, and they won't be able to afford role players. On top of that, if they exceed the luxury tax and they get into the into the second apron, which is $17.5 million past the salary cap, then they can't sign any uh, anybody to like a mid level exception, which is what you know guys like Bruce Brown were expected to go for this year. Um, they can't sign anybody on the buyout market, you know, into the season, um, which is an issue, like because that's where you can add valuable pieces. They won't be able to do any of that if they exceed that second apron, which they are more and more likely to do. The more money that they fork out to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Now, let's be honest here. If Boston decides to give that money to these two guys and they are going all in and they are making this statement with their actions, they are saying that they believe that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are not only good enough to win a title with a good supporting cast, but they're good enough to win a title where they're doing almost everything. And based off of what we've seen from them for these last two, three, four, five years, it would be unwise for them to make that decision. They have not proven that they both together can do what they need to do and more. They've proven that they that they can produce what they need to produce, but they need help. They haven't proven that they can do it on their own. Therefore, it would be unwise to give them this much money. Especially Jalen Brown. Okay, if you want to get like you have to pay Jason Tatum the full max. You have to. But you don't have to with Jalen Brown because he's simply not worth it. Meanwhile, Damian Lillard is worth it. And he's also not making as much as Jalen Brown would make, at least not yet. Uh, Damian Lillard's, you know, final year of his contract is like sixty some odd million dollars, which is insane. But Damian Lillard has what it takes to win a championship as a number two option. Okay, as I said earlier, I know Lillard said he only wants to play for Miami and he doesn't want to go to Boston, but the Heat don't have the assets. And you can't sit here and tell me that anybody in the running for Damian Lillard, Brooklyn, Miami, the Clippers, whoever, nobody can match the offer of Jalen Brown. If Boston called Portland, they're like, we will give you 27-year-old Jalen Brown right now for Damian Lillard. There is not a team out there who could match that offer. There isn't one. And the way that Portland has talked and their GM has talked, they do not care about Damian Lillard's request. They're going to send they're going to send him to a contender. We know that. Boston is 100% that. But at the end of the day, Portland is doing what they should do and they're looking out for themselves and they're trying to get the best return on Damian Lillard. And you can't tell me that there's a better return out there than Jalen Brown, given what everybody else has said. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather have Jalen Brown and, you know, Malcolm Brogdon or Robert Williams or whoever, whatever salary filler you need, and some picks, or um, Nikola Jovic, picks from the Heat, 
and uh, Hami Hakwes Jr. Like, no, like you would want Jalen Brown. It's it's a no brainer. And I just I think that if you're Boston, you are much better off going at it with Damian Lillard rather than Jalen Brown. And if I was Boston, I would pull the trigger. I would risk the chances of Damian Lillard being unhappy in Boston, playing alongside one of his friends, Jason Tatum, than I would putting all that money into Jalen Brown. I think it would be an unwise investment on Boston's part. We're going to take a short break. We come back. We're going to get more into the 1%. Uh, I'm going to link the previous episode in the in the uh, description below. That way you can go back and you can listen to that. If you missed it, uh, I believe we're doing numbers 33 through 22. That sounds right. So we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. And we're back with more Shooting the Schmidt. So we got through 33 last week. For those of y'all who are new, the 1% is basically the top 1% of NBA basketball players ever. There have been 4,376 players to play in an NBA game. So therefore, the top 44 players of all time make up the top 1%. So number just to refresh a little bit, 35 was Chris Paul, 34 John Stockton, 33 was Kawhi Leonard. If you want to hear the explanations for those, feel free to go back and check out the last podcast that I did. Number 32, Bob Pettit. Averaged a career 26.4 points per game, 16 rebounds. That's insane. Three assists, two-time scoring champ, one-time rebounding champ, 11-time All-Star, 11-time All-NBA selection, 1958 NBA champ, two-time MVP, and Rookie of the Year. Bob Pettit was the first player to ever eclipse 20,000 points. Okay, He was a prolific scorer, to say the least. He never finished below 7th in the NBA scoring race. Just an absolute bucket getter at the power forward position. Just incredible. Okay, He was all NBA every year he played in the league. He was only deemed second team once every other time. He was first-team All-NBA, and during the 1958 playoff run, he averaged 24 points and 16 rebounds per game. Okay, He was more than just a scorer. Okay, You've heard me say it already. 16 rebounds a game for his entire career. That is insane. That's absolutely absurd. Okay, He was the best power forward of his generation. Despite playing in an era with lesser players, he deserves to be on everyone's list amongst the greatest players ever due to the rebounding, and the scoring. First player ever scored 20,000 points. Never finished below 7th in the NBA scoring race. The guy was an absolute bucket getter. Bob Pettit comes in at number 32. Number 31. Jason Kidd. Golly, I love Jason Kidd. Gr- growing up a Mavs fan, him being the point guard on that Dallas Mavericks team, he is just written his initials on my heart, but I may have to erase him if he continues to run the Mavericks into the ground as the head coach. For Jason Kidd's career, he averaged 12.6 points per game, 6.3 rebounds, just under 9 assists, 2 steals a game, and basically 0 blocks a game. He's, he's right there at .3. He's the 5-time assist champ, a 10-time All-Star, 6-time All-NBA selection, 2011 NBA champ, 1994-95 Rookie of the Year, and a 9-time All-Defensive selection. Okay, We have another pass-first point guard on the list. 
And here's the thing that separates him from all the other guys that I've listed. Steve Nash, Chris Paul, John Stockton. The one thing that Jason Kidd has that those three guys don't is a championship. Okay, he was an integral part of that Dallas Mavericks run. Before that, he ran the show in New Jersey at an extremely high level, taking them to not one but two NBA Finals. Okay, as great as he was as a passer, he slowly became a great shooter. He's top 15 all-time in three-pointers made. The defense he brought with the size at that position was incredible. I remember like he would post up guards on offense and operate out of the low block. It was incredible to watch. And he still had the foot speed and the quickness to stay in front of smaller guards as well. Just an absolutely great defender at, at the guard spot. He was awesome. Okay, He was a true two-way player who, unlike the other pass-first point guards on this list that we've listed, was able to get to the top of the mountain. Jason Kidd at number 31. Now, I have another guy here who doesn't match the group description, which I forgot to read at the start. So we're in this group C, which is Currents and Fading Legends. At number 30, we have Scottie Pippen. Now, he will always be a legend because he's attached to Michael Jordan. But if he wasn't attached to Michael Jordan, I don't think he would be remembered the way that he's going to be. Now, his career per game stats are pretty meh. 16 points a game, 6.5 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, and a block. Uh, he's the 1994-95 to steals champ, 7-time All-Star, 7-time All-NBA selection, 6-time NBA champ, 10-time All-Defensive selection. Okay? He's directly tied to Michael Jordan. All six of his championships are won with the Bulls with Michael Jordan. Okay? And if it wasn't for Michael Jordan and everything that happened in Chicago, I think we would very quickly forget who Scottie Pippen is. Okay? Great two-way player. Okay, the 10-time all-defensive selections speak for themselves. But offensively, wasn't great. Okay, in his 17 seasons, he only averaged 20-plus points per game four times. Okay, the lack of offensive production is why he's only at 30. That's why I don't have him higher on the list. Uh, as I said, though, great defensive player. Very average offensive player who was lucky enough to play alongside Michael Jordan. So he was. Okay, maybe I have him a little bit too low. I think this is a fair spot, though, given everybody that I have in front of him. Um, just not enough there offensively for me to put him higher on the list. Once again, that is Scottie Pippen at 30. Number 29, Charles Barkley. Okay, A career average of 22 points a game, 12 rebounds, 4 assists, 1.5 steals, and a block. He's the 1986-87 rebounding champ. 11-time All-Star, 11-time All-NBA selection, the 1992-93 MVP, and the 84 to, and he was All-Rookie in 84-85. to 85. Charles Barkley is on this very short list of players that I believe would be better if he played today. The ability to grab a rebound, go coast-to-coast, coast, was not common before Charles Barkley came along. Okay, A player who dominated on the offensive glass he could score inside with the best of them despite the lack of his size. The 1992-93 season was hands down the best of his career. He won the MVP that year. He led the Phoenix Suns to the NBA Finals where he ran into Michael Jordan and lost. Like a lot of guys on this list. Later in his career, he went to Houston, tried to win one with Clyde, Clyde Drexler and Hakeem Olajuwon. It just didn't happen. He never returned to the NBA Finals and the lack of NBA titles is why he's lower on this list. But it's so hard to deny his greatness. 
Um, one thing that I hate is when he retires from TV, I think we'll talk about him less and less in the playing career that he had because he was awesome, just doing it on both ends. Just a much better offensive version of Draymond Green is kind of what I picture just with the ball handling ability being like a six 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 seven power forward kind of guy, especially in that era where like there's just giants everywhere. There's seven-footers all over the place because they were highly valued because bigger was better at the time, or so they thought. And just seeing what he did, man, he was incredible. One of my favorite stories that I read in the book Assisted, uh, written by John Stockton, it's an autobiography of him and his career, is he talks about, John Stockton is talking about going and trying out for Team USA to play in the Olympics. And Bob Knight, you know, Indiana legend, is the head coach. And he would yell and scream at Charles Barkley every single practice. Here's why. Coming out of college, it was reported that Charles Barkley's draft stock was kind of dropping. He wasn't going to be a lottery pick. And so Charles Barkley shows up to Team USA tryouts with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder already. And then he looks over and he notices there are NBA scouts in the stands watching these practices. So Bob Knight, being old school, was one of his big guys to grab rebounds, find the guard, pass it to the guard, let the guard bring it up. Charles Barkley was like, no, I'm going to grab the rebound, I'm going to go coast to coast, and I'm going to dunk it. And so, yeah, Charles Barkley did not make that Olympic team, but he raised his draft stock and was a lottery pick and drafted, and he was drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers. That is Charles Barkley at number 29. Number 28. I have Giannis Antetokounmpo. Another, you know, current guy still playing in the league. Averaging 22.5 points per game for his career. Just under 10 rebounds. Just under 5 assists. And a block and a steal a game. 7-time All-Star. 7-time All-NBA. The 2022-2021 to NBA champ and finals MVP. He's a 2-time MVP made the all-rookie team, was the Defensive Player of the Year in 2020, five-time all-defensive selection, and the 2016-2017 to most improved player. And the Greek Freak will undoubtedly go down as one of the most physically dominant players ever. Okay, He will undoubtedly move up this list as well as time goes on. He's in the prime of his career right now. He's already won two MVPs and an NBA title. He's one of the most physically imposing players in the history of the NBA. The size, the length, and the strength allow him to allow him to attack the rim like no one that we've ever seen before. Okay, his jump shot and playmaking have slowly gotten better. Okay, he's got this little like 12-foot fallaway jumper that he can make. He's pa- <clears throat> his passing has just continuously gotten better. It's really been a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, he's currently 28. He's a great defender. I mentioned, you know, Defensive Player of the Year, the all-defensive selection. I mean, his impact on both ends of the floor cannot be understated, okay? Uh, he's got multiple MVPs. He has the the elusive NBA title. There's just pure dominance and physical force in his game that is so hard to ignore. I'm excited to come back to him in like three or four years because Milwaukee can definitely win another title. That window shrinking with Chris Middleton, but they could definitely win it this next year. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where he's at in the next three or four years. 
Number 27, I have Rick Barry. Averaged just under 25 points a game for his career. 6.7 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, and half a block a game. He's the 1996-67 scoring champ. The 1974-75 steals champ. 12-time All-Star, 6-time All-NBA, 4-time All-ABA. Made the ABA All-Time team. Was the 1975 NBA champ. Uh, was the Finals MVP that same year. Uh, was the 1965-66 Rookie of the Year. And, of course, he made the All-Rookie team in that season as well. Rick Barry, the king of the granny shot. The underhanded free throws are kind of what he's known for and the insane free throw percentage that came with that. But he could hoop with the best of them. One of the best players in ABA history. And when he came over to the NBA, his dominance continued. As a small forward, he did just a little bit of everything except for score. Okay, he did a lot of scoring. Excuse me, especially score. He scored a lot. I misread my notes. That's my bad. Uh, he did a lot of scoring in multiple seasons where he, where he averaged 30 points or more per game. Okay, He's a great scorer in both the ABA and the NBA. The guy could get buckets with the best of them. That is Rick Barry coming in at number 27. Number 26, I've got John Havlovich. I really hope I said that properly. Okay, Career, 21 points a game, 6 rebounds, 5 assists, one steal, and .3 blocks. He's a 13-time All-Star, 11-time All-NBA selection, 8-time NBA champ, the 1973-74 Finals MVP, made the All-Rookie team, and he was also an 8-time All-Defensive selection. Now, I wanted to put him lower on the list, but when you have 8 NBA championships... And 11 All-NBA selections, it's hard to move you down. Okay, it doesn't matter what era a guy played in. Eight titles is impressive. That is a hard thing to accomplish. Okay, it wasn't like he was a role player either, okay, because role players don't win finals MVP, and they don't average 20 points a game for their career. They don't do that. Okay, the era he played in and the lack of finals MVPs do keep him a little bit lower on the list, but he's still an all-time great finishing just outside the top 25 at number 26, John Havlovich. Number 25, Kevin Garnett. Okay, career 18 points a game, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, 1 steal, and 1.5 blocks. The 4-time rebounding champ, 15-time All-Star, 9-time All-NBA, 2008 NBA champ, won the MVP in the 2003-2004 to season, Made the All-Rookie Team, 12-time All-Defensive Selection, and the 2008 Defensive Player of the Year. And the big ticket checks in right at 25. He was one of the first players to make the successful leap from high school to the NBA. He's one of the best defensive big men in the history of the NBA. Okay, He was the man in Minnesota for the first 12 years of his career. I mean, he was just, that's where he won the MVP. He was awesome. He was he was incredible in Minnesota. And then he anchored the Boston defense from 2007 to 2013. Okay, Kevin Garnett, he's also one of the most intense players in the history of the NBA. Okay, the trash talk, the heart on your sleeve at all times kind of mentality was awesome. Like, it's a big part of who he is in terms of his legacy. Okay, the defensive prowess... And the years in Minnesota allow him to sneak into the it allows him to sneak into the top twenty five. 
that title in Boston definitely helps him out as well. That is Kevin Garnett, a.k.a. The Big Ticket, checking in at number 25. Number 24, Dwayne Wade. Career averaging 22 points a game, 5 rebounds, 5.5 assists, 1.5 steals, and .8 blocks. The 2008-2009 NBA scoring champ, 13-time All-Star, 8-time All-NBA selection, 3-time NBA champ, 2006 Finals MVP, made the All-Rookie team in 2004, and was a 3-time All-Defensive selection. The third-best shooting guard in the history of the NBA checks in here at number 24. Okay, Dwayne Wade had a great career despite battling injuries throughout his really entire career. Okay, in 2006, he burst onto the scenes, winning the NBA title, winning finals MVP despite playing alongside Shaq. He obviously goes on to win two more with the Heatles, LeBron James and Chris Bosh in Miami. Okay, peak, peak Dwayne Wade was nothing short of incredible to watch. Okay, the flash was lightning quick on the court. Got to the rim with ease and finished around big men, both with touch and explosiveness. Okay, on the defensive side of the floor, always in the passing lanes. Just a really smart, heady defender who had the athleticism to stay in front of guards all across the league. Okay, the undeniably great peak in multiple championships cannot be ignored when we're discussing the greatest players ever. Dwayne Wade checks in at number 24. Number 23. We have the third leading scorer all-time in the history of the NBA. We have Carl Malone. 25 points a game, 10 rebounds, 3.5 assists, 1.5 steals, and just under a block a game. 14-time All-Star, 14-time All-NBA selection, 2-time MVP, made the All-Rookie team in 86, and was a 4-time All-Defensive selection. Carl Malone's career is directly tied to John Stockton's, who we mentioned in the previous episode. Okay, finished his career as the third leading scorer of all time. He scored and rebounded with the best of them. Okay, he's currently fourth all time in points and fifth all time in total rebounds. The only thing missing from his impressive career is an NBA title. The rest of his career, though, is so impressive, you you can't deny that he has to be in the top 25. Okay, he's the second highest ranked player on my list who didn't win a championship. I mean, just... He did everything you wanted from your big guy, right? You know, he finished inside, he rebounded. You know, he had some dumb airhead moments in the playoffs, which you don't love. But 23, Carl Malone. And the last guy for today, number 22, Isaiah Thomas. Averaged 19 points a game for his career. Could have averaged more. Three and a half rebounds, nine assists, two steals, Basically, no blocks a game. Okay, he was the 1984 to 85 assist champ, 12 time All Star, 5 time All NBA selection, 2 time NBA champ, the 1989 to 1990 Finals MVP, and he made the All Rookie team in 1982. Isaiah Thomas is really similar to Scottie Pippen in this current and fading legends group because, like Pippen, his legacy is directly tied to Michael Jordan. Okay, the Jordan rules, those, you know, Pistons, Bulls battles in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, that's a part of Jordan. That's how we remember Isaiah Thomas. We don't remember, you know, the series against the Lakers and the Celtics when they were fighting, trying to get to the top of the mountain for the first time. We don't remember that. 
Okay, he was a physical defender, to put it nicely. Wasn't afraid to knock his opponents around despite being a smaller guard. He had a pretty interesting career. Okay, the 80s and 90s were dominated by Larry Burson. That's what we remember. Okay, and then Michael Jordan shows up shortly after. But in between them, there's this little sliver where it's Detroit Pistons basketball. It's Isaiah Thomas and Bill Lambeer and Dennis Rodman where they win two titles. Okay, he beat Michael Jordan in the playoffs multiple times. As I already said, he's an integral part of Michael Jordan's story. Because of the timing of his of his success, he's often passed over when people talk about that era, but he was so impressive during his entire career. His willingness to sacrifice shots for himself, to get other guys involved, to be the catalyst of a really good Detroit Pistons team. As much as people don't like them, that was a really good basketball team. Okay, He gets left off the 92 Dream Team because of the way that he played. Because Michael Jordan didn't like him. Because nobody liked him. But he won two titles. Which is more than a lot of guys that played on that 92 Dream Team. So I think he would say that it is all worth it being like that. But 22, Isaiah Thomas that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast, Shooting the Schmidt. I really appreciate it. I'll be back again on Thursday with another episode. I'm trying to get people to come on and do this 1% stuff with me. But what I might end up doing is doing them all on my own and then bringing somebody on to run through the entire list. I think that's going to be a better plan because I like being able to defend myself before I bring people on. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. That is the plan. I'll be back on Thursday. We're going to continue the 1%. Probably going to talk some NBA Summer League. Wimby is set to debut Friday night. Uh, Brandon Miller is set to play again tonight in his second game. He wasn't great in the first one. Probably cover some of that stuff on Thursday. We'll see just kind of what news breaks. Can't wait to get to it. Thank you again for listening, and I'll talk to you all again on Thursday. (laughs) 